Today's scripture reading is from 1 John 2.28-3.3. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. This is the reading of God's word. I want to thank the Burks for reading scripture today. And today we come back to our study of 1 John. Last week we had a great experience. If you were here or you watched or both, eight people got baptized. So now we're back to living the story of baptism through the letter of John. And I thought I would start by just uh, telling you about my many trips years ago that I used to take to the Holy Land during spring break. And uh, I would lead students, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, to the Holy Land, sometimes up to 30 or 40 of them with another colleague of mine. And uh, as great as it was to walk where Jesus walked, halfway through the trip, I really started to miss my own family <laughs> and my own kids. And one way that I found that really helped me get through those days was to look at their pictures and to know that in the days counting down to when our flight would leave, I would be back home with each one of them, either playing with the kids or drinking coffee with my wife or fill in the blank for me. It was just, I can't wait to see them. Have you uh, a story like that? Maybe it's... Uh, something that you are needing a little hope to uh, get through a tough class as a student. Or maybe on the other way, it's, it's helping your kids as students get through school, whatever that looks like in these strange days. Maybe it's frustrations in your job. You can't wait for the weekend or maybe a new employment. Maybe it's your marriage that makes you even wonder if it can survive. Or maybe it's just like everything in general, life these days. Waiting to take a deep breath and find renewed energy. Or maybe your story is deeper than that and, and it includes questioning the Christian faith. Have you ever felt like it's not really worth being a Christian? Or maybe you're, you're wondering, is the Bible really true? Or even, maybe sadly, does it even matter if it is true? With recent stories of hypocrisy by church and Christian leaders, or maybe disappointment from your own church, it's, it's no wonder that some people are, could we say, running out of gas spiritually. Their tanks are on empty and they wonder if there's enough fuel to make it even to the next day or the next week. Well, these questions are real, and uh, 
they're also ancient. The Apostle John's letter, this first letter that he wrote, contains truth to bolster our sometimes fragile faith. And today's passage that we just heard read reminds us of the purifying power of hope in Jesus' return that will fuel our hearts to remain close to Him. So let's, let's dig in today. I'm very thrilled to be able to show you these, these few verses that contain so much that we need today. And the first thing we saw, and I'll read the first two verses again, is that John is going to call us again to continue in our faith. He writes, and now, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right is born of Him. Our salvation, John says, is compared to being born. It's a birth. Now think about that analogy. Shep just mentioned kids, and kids implies infants, and infants implies a start, a birth. So when verse 29 says, um, everyone who has been born of him, that's who Christians are. And Christians are people who are born again, right? You know that terminology. But too often, we, we, we think of ourselves, our identity is rooted in our birthday, isn't it? So if someone were to say to you, are you a Christian, your first answer would probably be, if it is true, yes, I became a Christian, and you would fill in the blank. 10 years ago, a month ago, 30 years ago, whatever. You're talking about your birthday, something in the past. But what, what this passage and the rest of the Bible explains is, while that may be true, that that's when it started, it wasn't a once-and-done event. Birth implies the beginning of life. And because salvation is a relationship with God that happens every moment of every day and tomorrow, it's not an event that's just a transaction that's over and done. Do you see, the birth metaphor is, is just a perfect way of saying it's the beginning of living. And, and, and the call to continue to be alive today, to walk with Jesus in this moment, it's not just here in 1 John. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Or Paul said it this way in Colossians 1, and 23. God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. 
Do you hear how he's joining the birth with the life, the life that continues? And Peter does the same thing in 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into God's eternal kingdom. John, the apostle who wrote this letter, also wrote the book of Revelation. And in chapter 14, verse 12, he says, This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. It's not, I became a Christian, period. It's, I was born, and now I'm living today as a Christian. And John says, don't forget that the call is to keep your foot on the gas pedal, so to speak, to keep the fire burning, to continue to, some of your translations might read, to abide, to remain close to Jesus. That's really, really important. God wants us to pursue the relationship that he started because it's so worth it. And the second thing he reminds us is about our identity as children. That's what he wrote in verses 1 and 2. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So what John is saying here is uh, the reason that we should remain close, the reason we should pursue God now is because our salvation is all of life. It's not just past. It's not just present. But it's also future. You think of yourself living in those three, could we say, phases of time? John does. Remember in verse 29, he said, we have been born of the Father because he, verse 1, lavished, past tense, his love on us. Present, verse 1, that is what we are. In verse 2, we are now the children of God. And then, verse 2, what we will be is not yet made known, but we shall be like him. There it is, past, present, future. Salvation in three tenses. I know you've heard this before. We were saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be saved. That's the way to think about being a Christian. Your identity is not what happened in the past only, 
that's just your passport into a new citizenship that you live every moment of every day. And since we live this way, we need to think this way. So last week, eight people talked about their birth, right? The videos we heard, the stories that they shared, largely concerned the way they came to faith in Jesus. But it also talked about their life now, looking ahead. A few moments ago, when Jim led us in, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You remember what he said before we sang it? He said, some of you are able to sing it as if you're reflecting on the great faithfulness of God in your life in the past. And others of you may be just hanging on by a thread, making this a prayer for God to be faithful tomorrow to me, or even today. Do you see that? That's the spectrum of where we all live. <laughs> we have our foot planted in the past by God's lavish love when He, by our faith, but starting with His grace, brought us into His family by the new birth. And every day, He maintains that in us by the means of grace. That's what we call it. The way God infuses in His mysterious, supernatural way His power into our lives so that we continue in Him. Baptism is one of those means. The Lord's Supper that we will have at the conclusion of this service is another one of those means. Scripture that you heard Shep talk about during the announcements, listening to the voice of God, the very God-breathed Word as He speaks to you, and not just words, but words that sink deep into your soul. And prayer. Prayer, our words to our Father that cements the relationship even more. <laughs> you can't live on yesterday's prayer just like you can't live on yesterday's breakfast. The means of grace are not just personal, but they're also corporate. And let's be honest, we need each other usually, don't we? We're not islands. We don't live by ourselves, even though masks tend to put us in somewhat isolation mode. Isn't it great that we can actually <laughs> get a text from somebody, an email, a phone call, a personal encounter. Yeah, but even more so with our lives with, with God. Are you in a friendship, could I call it, that's deeper than just, hey, how you doing? Did you hear about the latest sports scores? Or, hey, how are you? And let me complain to you about how tough life is with my kids or my job or... No, I'm talking about honest questions, struggles, even temptations. Are you in a relationship like that, whether it's one person or a group of people? That fuels your faith. This truth about persevering, I remind you though, is only one side of the picture. Scripture also teaches that God preserves us. 
We persevere because God preserves us. We keep on because He keeps us. Jesus said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And Paul said in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Both are true. Don't think it's all up to your effort to continue, or I think you'll just become proud of yourself. <laughs> or, more real realistically, you'll become so discouraged you'll want to give up. No, it's both. It's our effort to remain, to abide, to continue, fueled by the Holy Spirit in our hearts that combine to keep us close to Christ. And I'm so encouraged to see that in our church family. A week ago or so, one of our long-standing members went to glory, Andy Hornack. And if you knew him, and I knew him for at least oh, 25, 30 years, I saw a man who loved Christ, who loved his family, who loved his church, churches, and he lived long enough to see his own great-grandchildren, and always, whenever Andy would come to church, up to the final days when he would be wheeled in with his wife, and he could only move one hand, he would always have a word, <laughs> not about, well, it's nice weather or something, but something about the worship service or God working in his life. And then I heard that in our worship evenings, I forget what we call them now, <laughs> the Sunday night worship times. What's the term? I forget. Maybe we don't have a regular term yet. Um, that one of our 80-plus-year-old members was there. And when I, when I heard this, I thought, really? Like, did they go by mistake? Because I was thinking that was basically a younger person's thing. <laughs> you know? And even though it is, or at least it's led by younger people, this 80-plus senior was so encouraged to be there and to worship. And when this person who was younger told my wife and I this the other day, I said to my wife, hey, when I grow up, I want to be like him. <laughs> and then you saw a couple read the scripture on screen here a moment ago. I and another elder uh, interviewed them for the membership class this week. And it was so great to hear about how they came to faith as children, they met, they got married, they moved here, they're part of our church. I mean, they have been for a while. Now they want to join our church and serve and, oh yeah. And then again, listening to those testimonies of the baptisms last week, from the youngest there to the oldest, all saying, I love Jesus, he did something in my life and I want to show it because I want to live for him. And over the weekend, uh, we had a sleepover with one of our grandkids, and 
at dinner time, I said, okay, who wants to pray? And, what, and this grandchild said, oh, I will. And in the words that only a child can pray, we heard an expression of faith and continuing in that faith. That's what John is encouraging us to do here. Continue, remain, because it's so worth it. But that's not all. The, the, the last thing he says in verse 3 gives us an added reason why we should continue. Let me read it again. Verse, well, I'll, I'll start in verse 2. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him, in Jesus, purify themselves just as he is pure. Hope is part of our church's name. It's a powerful motivation, isn't it? I asked our grandchild, what are you hoping for? You know, I was hoping I'd get a sermon illustration out of him. <laughs> well, here it is. He said, well, I can't wait to play with my friends without a mask on. Okay, that's a good one. What gets you through exams in college and classes that may feel like you're pushing your way through? Isn't it the hope of graduation? A new mother's stress is eased when she is nesting. Maybe you're anticipating summer vacation and that gives you the motivation to get through the dark winter and early spring days. Well, look, if, if this is true for our small hopes, well, how much more should the hope of Jesus' return motivate us, right? Our hope is that one day Jesus will return to planet Earth, to come for us, to be with us in God's perfect kingdom here. Once again, Jesus said it this way in John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Paul, when he finished the book of 1 Corinthians, right at the end, included a word that's a prayer. But the odd thing is, he was writing in Greek, but he wrote it in Hebrew. You know the word, Maranatha. It means, Lord, come. It's a prayer for Jesus to come back, and it was prayed by the earliest Christians who were Jews speaking in their Aramaic or Hebrew language. That's, <clears throat> excuse me, what Peter says in 2 Peter 3.13, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And I've just skimmed the surface a few verses that talk about this. This is the bedrock of our hope. And what John says, when you really have that hope in your imagination, it doesn't just stay as a mental fact. 
it starts to transform and change you. It purifies you. Now, it's not purifying you if you want Jesus to come back just to get you out of trouble or give you everything that you want or maybe to confirm your speculation about you know, the timing of the rapture or all the things you want to figure out. No, no, no. If your greatest hope is in seeing Jesus, then that's what will transform your heart. Samuel Rutherford, who was a Puritan in the 1600s, wrote this. Oh, my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven to me, for thou art all the heaven I want. John Piper recently wrote, if you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? That's another way of saying if you're only after the blessings of Jesus instead of the person of Jesus, you got it backwards. What will transform your soul is not selfish desires to get things, but a selfish desire to know Jesus more, to see Him. That's what verse 2 says. When we see Him, we will be like Him. And the great thing is that right now, even in this very moment, you and I can see, only partially, our Savior. Through those means of grace, it's the way Paul says in 2 Corinthians, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into that same image with ever-increasing glory. That's why we pray, one reason. That's what happens when we partake of the Lord's Supper that we'll celebrate in just a moment. Now, when we really gaze at Jesus' glory now and hope in Him, it begins to change us. It, it, the words of John, it purifies us just like He is pure. We start to become what one day we will be. Now think about that for just a moment. When we see Jesus, love will be realized in its fullness like we have never experienced. I'm talking about His love that He lavished on us when we were born again is now going to be realized in person, forever. The love that Father, Son, and Spirit have that overflows into a people of God that He chooses one by one, that Paul asks us to pray for now, that we might know what is unknowable, the love of Christ, we will experience it. 
Do you see how the hope for that should filter down and percolate into our souls now so that, yeah, we can taste that now. Love for God and love for our neighbors. Here's another example. When we see Jesus face to face, the justice of God will be seen like we've never experienced it. We will be able to experience that all sin is gone from us. New bodies that are totally renewed. No more pull of temptation. Satan, the demons, those who are unrepentant, all those people eternally punished, and God's justice on display, every wrong that was ever done in human history will be made right because the judge of the earth does what is right. Now, that sense of justice should percolate into our hearts. That's why all people know that there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. We see it in the cancel culture, right? (laughs) You are wrong, I will cancel you. Why? Because I am right. You can't get away from it. But Christians live not with our own standard, we are God, but with God's standard, borrowing that because that's who our Father is. Only when our future destiny becomes our present reality do we start to have our faith bolstered so that continuing today means tomorrow. And tomorrow becomes today and brings us another tomorrow. And as we gaze at our Savior, we find one day we will see Him face to face. We're going to conclude with a meal. And this meal, as you'll hear in a moment, is for us to remember, to look back, until Jesus comes, a look ahead. So, I I would really like to read one of my most favorite lines of a hymn The hymn is called, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. (laughs) I said to my wife, I want this to be sung at my memorial service. She said, that's so depressing. (laughs) Well, maybe, but listen to the last verse, and then I'm going to pray. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace, not on the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Lord Jesus, Maranatha, please come, and thank you that you will come to us at your table. We look forward to seeing you face to face. In your name we pray, amen.